John, try again. Yeah. Anyway, uh, is it on? Yeah. So it wasn't recording at all? None of that recorded. So welcome back uh, to Catechize, the podcast where we discuss the historic reform confessions and catechisms. As always, I'm your host. I'm, oh gosh, I'm your host, Josh. With me as always is my co-host, John the Divine. First time we did this, I made a joke about him being a diviner who is into astrology. It was funnier then, but... <laughs> But man, that didn't work. <laughs> it aged like a f- fine wine. Yeah, those four seconds <laughs> passed between the two. I, I thought it was still good, actually. Hey, thanks, John. John was telling us about Donkey Kong. You can uh, tweet at him later and ask him because it's not worth your time. Yeah, no, it's, I also it's, don't have Twitter, so. Yeah, perfect. Tweet at him. Yeah, just throw it out into the void. Donkey Kong 64 is a really fun game, though, for Someone the Nintendo Someone create 64. John a Twitter account, at John the Divine. I used to, I used to have a Twitter account. Yeah, well, create him a new one. Oh, okay. I got rid of it because I just didn't use it ever. Yeah, I, I had to reactivate my Twitter for podcast purposes, and I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, it's just a, it's a time Twitter sink. is just, it's only for angry people. Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah. we're back with the end of, the, the end of season two. This is in no way a breaking point in the actual catechism, but we've got to break it up for our own purposes and for yours. And this is a a transitionary-ish question where we are moving away from a focus on sin and last week's miserable episode on the misery of sin (laughs) to the to the hope of redemption in Christ. And the next two seasons, one is about Jesus, one is about redemption, all good news. And it's just, oh, it's, yeah, it's we're great to be back. It's great to be free from the the bonds of sin. It's yeah. very theological, and also, like, I'm glad that we're we're done with those. This question, question twenty. This is like one of my. I think it's one of my favorite questions in here, just because of what it, it's what it's got. Right. So the question is your favorite question because of what the question is. Essentially, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot more nuance to my opinion than just that. But yeah. I don't know. I didn't see any nuance. John, you didn't let me. express that nuance by reading us the question and answer, and then I'll do the same, and we'll talk about it. All right. Here we go. Question 20 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Here we go. All right. Here we go, Josh. <laughs> you ready? It. Here we go. Ugh. Question 20 of the Westminster. <laughs> Sorry. Oh okay. God. Question 20. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? And the answer is God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. Nice. Uh again, that is Question 20 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, followed by its answer. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. Mm. Enough said. Man, that is, that's, the good, that's the good news right there. Mr. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. I don't but, either. <laughs> but no, I agree. It's one of, I think it's one of, it's so good because of, you You, you know what? This Stop is, saying it's so good because of what it is. That doesn't, that's, I, that's, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> I got sidetracked halfway through my that, thought. you seen that Nietzsche video? You can it's tell it's an Aspen because of the of way it, it is. is. <laughs> that's no, what you're doing. <laughs> no, no, you cut me off before I was finished. Basically, what I was going to say is the reason this question has so much impact, I think, is because of the questions that come before it expressing the weight of sin. Right. 
and understanding and realizing and feeling the weight of the sin yeah. when you get to this question it's a final realization no, of it, the freedom yes uh and it is really good and this this question in in many ways is our greatest test yet because either this episode is really good we succeed and this is a, a phenomenal episode or this episode is four and a half hours long <laughs> It's a four and a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> we seriously could break this up into multiple episodes, but that's not how we roll. That's not how we roll. So um, we're going to be talking about question 20 by addressing a couple different things. Briefly touching on covenant, then talking about um, the covenant of redemption slash the and the covenant of grace. We'll talk about those two covenants together. And because uh, those will get at some of the things in this answer. Slash predestination a little No, bit. that's next. Then the next thing after that is that we yeah. are talking more explicitly or specifically about election. Mm. Uh, and then we will do the other things that we do. Yeah, basically. Uh, talking about election always feels like it's like fight night. I know, but I'll fight, man. I'll fight for the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, because it's not, I think... So okay, we'll get there. I'll save I'll save my two cents until we arrive. Save All your right. two cents. All so, right. So, uh, get to John, really quickly. So, this question and answer. Oh, I flipped away from it because of the history of the week, which comes later. <laughs> said God, having out of his good out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the state of sin and misery by a redeemer, basically. Um, and so we're back to covenants. Can you just do a quick reminder? What what yeah. is that? What is yeah. the, what is the so covenant? Covenants are basically God's way of interacting with mankind, and they're good because God uses them. But mainly, the thing is, is that God chooses to bind Himself to us in a way. In the sense that he makes a covenant with us and God does not lie. God does not break his word. So when he says he's going to do something, we know that it will come to pass and we can right. hold to that with absolute assurance. And so when he makes a covenant with, you know, for example, like Abraham and says, his I'm going to make you. Agreement. Yeah, I'm going to make you the father of a great or many nations and you're going to be, your descendants will number the, you know, more than the stars of heaven we can hold to that with absolute assurance that right. it will come to pass. Right. And that is the promise that Abraham, he doesn't yeah. have the rest of the Bible like we do. The only He doesn't have any of the Bible. The only thing he has is this promise from God. But because it's from God and God makes a covenant with Abraham that this will come to pass, he knows for certain right. that the promise will be fulfilled. Yeah. And, and just so, yeah, a couple qualifications or a qualification. A covenant is a binding agreement. Yeah. And we're going to talk about later why the covenants that God has entered into with us are certain. Because covenants, by definition, are not certain. Yeah. The covenant of works with Adam broke. It if was this, broken. then that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and there are contingencies in these covenants that are under the covenant of grace. But we are assured of the, certain, of the promises of these covenants because of the nature of these covenants specifically or the covenant of grace specifically. Um, covenants are not by nature. They're not like the unbreakable vow from Harry Potter. <laughs> they, they are... Well especially, well, especially on our end as humans. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, we'll get into that. But yeah, they're the way that God interacts with his people and kind of the big... 
I guess maybe a summary of what the covenant the covenant promises of God are are how he often phrases it, I will be their God and they will be my people. Yeah. That's a good summary of what these covenants promise. Yeah. Um yeah, so cool. Uh I let me uh, so this uh, this question talks about the covenant of grace and it explicitly mentions the covenant of grace, question yeah. twenty and answer twenty. But it also alludes to another covenant that we'll touch on briefly before going into that. Yeah. So this season we also we've the other covenant we talked about was the covenant of works where God made a covenant with Adam, Adam broke it, and so all who are Adam's seed in Adam fell because they were represented by him. And when he broke the covenant, we were all covenant breakers. And yeah. then all the things we said about sin in those episodes. And God did not leave us in this estate of sin and misery. Basically, God did not leave all mankind uh, to perish as covenant breakers or in the consequences or yeah. curses of the covenant. But um, ha- having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, entered into a covenant of grace. And that idea that from all eternity... Um, that is alluding, that section of the question is alluding to what theologians call the covenant of redemption. Mm. And the covenant of redemption is this theological doctrine that is a conclusion of a study of a lot of scripture, or all of scripture, I guess, uh, that that summarizes or seeks to kind of describe the plan and action of God, that part of God's decree, which we talked about season one, was to... Um, redeem a people to himself. Yeah. And so this covenant of redemption, this from eternity, God did this, planned to do this. Um, it's recognizing the, the reality that the incarnation, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and all that is tied up in that were not an afterthought that God planned after the fall. Yeah. But even before the God, the, blah, 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 even before the fall, God planned. Before God. Not, there's nothing. <laughs> even before the fall, God had planned from eternity past to accomplish redemption through the son. And this covenant of redemption is the plan that the persons of the God had made where God would give to his son, a people that son would give himself for the, his people redeeming them. And the spirit would unite those people to the son. And, and this is the agreement of the activity of God between the persons of God in redemption. It is the plan that the covenant of grace is the enacting of does that make sense so it's kind of it's kind of so nowhere in the bible does it say the covenant of redemption right in the sense of like explaining the divine counsel between the members of the trinity or anything like that explicitly um in in so many words right but the covenant of redemption is basically the the battle plan for how the how god would Redeem, save the world redeem humanity and restore creation yeah and yeah. it happens before the fall right um so it this is not a this is not a like a God redirect like, plan crap, 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 crap. all right uh what's the backup plan all right covenant of redemption it's yeah it's god knowing everything and still giving free will let's just make that clear um <laughs> god knowing everything knew that adam would not obey and established but even, covenant of redemption. but even logically before he authored and decreed all things, he didn't like look down into the future, see that Adam would fail and then go, well, we'll make a backup plan. Yeah. Part <laughs> of plan A was Adam's failure. Yes. Because plan A was that Christ would redeem a people for himself. Yes. So in no way, temporally or logically, is the 
the redemption accomplished by Christ a reaction to Adam's failure. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Covenant of redemption. Now, yeah. covenant of grace. So, uh, the covenant of grace is, there, there's kind of a, a, a specific and a broad way that the covenant of grace can be understood. Yeah. The broad way is that God's covenant with man from the fall forever is the covenant of grace. And every covenant in the Bible is a part of the covenant of grace. Yeah. And there's also a, a, a sense that the truest iteration of the covenant of grace is the new covenant that is in Christ's blood yeah. that he ratifies with his death and resurrection. Yeah. So let's talk covenant of grace. Yes. Yeah. So I think covenant of grace, I think now that I think about this, I think we defined it briefly in the episode when we talked about the covenant of works. Cause basically after Adam flopped on the covenant of works, all, all of God's relationship with man was by grace. Yes. So the covenant of grace was basically, immediately entered into because right. man could not if man still operated on the covenant of works man is dead yeah. um, man can't relate to god at all mm-hmm. he he can't be saved yeah the covenant of grace is basically just the bomb <laughs> it, like the first thing oh man it's covenant of grace is genesis 3 to the end of revelation and beyond <laughs> and to us and as we first, still live and it's and it really is first seen in 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 Genesis three, that's yeah, that's what with I was thinking. The promise of the crushing of the head of the serpent. What is that thing called again? The Proto Evangelion. That's it. Yeah, the first gospel. Learn, but this is where Greek. this is where, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, this is where basically God says, "I'll you know, I will crush the head of the serpent, and he will brute, not he, the descendant of the woman will this, crush the head of the serpent, and he will, and the serpent will bruise the heel." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there is promise of the undoing of the fall in the giving of the curses of the from the fall. And that is kind of the first giving of the covenant of grace yeah. where we see it. But but the covenant of grace is okay, so here so the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is God's relationship with humanity post fall. And it's administered through other covenants throughout time. Yeah. Um some of one of these, I would argue that the Noahic covenant is part of the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But, but that's a common grace covenant that that is, that is that it is not just with God's chosen people. That is a covenant with all of humanity. Yeah. And then the other covenants that are kind of hallmarks of God's old Testament, uh, work with his people are the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And the new covenant, which Jeremiah promises in Jeremiah 31, most explicitly, mm-hmm. uh, the covenant that is that is in Christ's blood, the, the covenant that... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. that, is the, that is the kind of ratification, the fullest ratification of this covenant of grace. And it's also a fulfillment and culmination slash tying together of every previous covenant yeah. administration within the covenant of grace. And... This ties back to why John was saying that we have assurance that this covenant will stand because of the nature of this covenant as it has been revealed through the different covenant administrations. And so we see God promising in the Noahic covenant to not flood the earth again. And he, and he 
there's this image of the rainbow, which is like a battle bow cocked and aimed at God saying, I will fire upon myself if, if I do this thing. Basically, yeah. I will not break this covenant you can and it rests on my faithfulness to it alone to not flood the earth again. And then the Abrahamic covenant, which is specifically with God's people, Abraham and his descendants, gives us a picture of the certainty of the covenant of grace, which I think John wanted to talk yeah. about. Yeah, the Abrahamic covenant is sick in <laughs> in a good way. Um Yeah, kids. <laughs> I don't even, I don't think saying sick is trendy anymore. I'm I just say it out of habit. But anyway, so what happens in the Abrahamic covenant is that God makes a covenant with Abraham, not based on anything Abraham has done. This is not, Abraham's a pretty good guy. Yeah, he so was a moon worshiper covenant. by all logical estimation. Yeah, before God appeared to him. Called uh, him and was like, hey, you're mine. Yeah. No. But the amazing thing, when you read the passages, I think it's Genesis 12, 15, and 17. Those um, are the biggies, yeah. Yeah. When you read those three passages that talk about God, like, pretty much explicitly making the covenant with Abraham. The amazing thing you see is that God promises Abraham, I'll make you, I, I mentioned briefly earlier, I'll make you the father of many nations. A great, a great people will come from you. There will be a king in your line, and I have a land established for your people. And so he promises all these things to the descendants of Abraham. And the amazing thing is that he does not say, then, as you would expect in a covenant between a great king and a lesser king, you would expect there to be something like, the, all these rewards await you if you obey, if you do all these things for me, if you are true to your end of the deal. You expect to see that, but that's not there. What you actually see instead is that God says, essentially, if you do not do these, if you are disobedient, if any of these things don't come to pass, the punishment falls on me. Right. And it's actually, so it's the, it is the exact, <laughs> it is the exact opposite of, of a contingency that rests on Abraham's faithfulness. Yeah. Because, so it's this gruesome, like epic scene where the covenant ceremony is the tearing and a half of several <laughs> animals. Yeah. And the walking between those animals is the ratifying of this covenant. Sing, it was a, a pretty, sing, oh like, that was a commonly practiced that's how you way. That's how you did it back then. And the, the the statement was, let me become like these animals if I break the covenant. And God passes through the animals alone, saying that the assurance of this covenant rests on my faithfulness to keep it alone, not on yours. And this points to Christ amazingly because we see that God does... In a, God does, in a sense, die for the breaking of the covenant. We yeah. are unfaithful in the covenant that God has entered into with us. And because of our unfaithfulness in the covenant of works in Adam, and because of our unfaithfulness to obey him in the covenant of grace, Christ, who is God and man, dies on the cross, taking the covenant curses upon himself. Yeah. Oh, mm. great I stuff. know, so good. Yeah, and... Sorry, do you have any more to add? I'm trying no. to move us along yeah, for time. You're right, you're right. I was think, I was just thinking that. I was like, we're gonna we could probably just go on about this forever. Yeah, it's a dope scene. Check yeah. it out. Uh, Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Yeah. Uh, and the next is is the Mosaic Covenant, where the law is given, and Paul in Galatians, I believe, talks about how uh, a covenant does not cancel the previous things of the covenant can only add yeah. to it and so the the assurance and there's a lot of people who have different understandings of the relationship between the 
covenant of Abraham and the covenant with Moses as different administrations within the covenant of grace. Dispensationalists would see it as an entirely different thing, but go read that book by Porthris if you want to <laughs> go back into dispensationalism. But I see this and I wonder, I want, I want to do, if I, if I had money and time, I would do a PhD studying this to investigate it. But I wonder if, if the background to Paul's indicative imperative, this is who you are in Christ, this is how you ought to live, is not rooted in his understanding of the relationship between those covenants. Because you are Abraham's children. How do you as Abraham's children live the Mosaic law? And yeah. so it's the the indicative imperative of this is who you are in Christ. This is how you ought to live. I think is mirrored well in the relationship between the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant. And in the Mosaic covenant, we have all these stipulations and there is the consequence for breaking the covenant, which is leveled against Israel when they're exiled. But it doesn't break. They, they are no, they are not no longer God's people. Yeah. Because they broke the covenant, they're exiled. They're removed from the land, but they are still Judah. And, Again, in Christ, he perfectly keeps and fulfills the law, uh, is faithfully obedient. He is um, the perfect Israel. Yeah. So to summarize, basically, first we have, um, well, obviously the Noahic covenant. But with the first we have the Abrahamic covenant. And what happens here is God promises without condition, essentially, that he will make him into a great nation, take care of him, and if anything doesn't happen, the stipulations fall on him, on God. In the Mosaic Covenant, which is the covenant that comes next, there seems to be all these rules added. And so the temptation is to kind of think, God has switched here. All of a sudden, with the Abrahamic, you know, he was like, all right, if you don't obey, God takes the punishment. Whereas when you read the Mosaic, you're like, wait, now it sounds like it's switched so that if I don't obey... I fall out of being the people of God and I am, you know, eternally separated. And it sounds like God has changed. But in actuality, what has happened is basically what you just said. There's, there's stipulations now, but they don't affect the ultimate truth and fulfillment of God. So God has committed to us in the Abrahamic covenant and that is not broken by the Mosaic covenant. Right. And so he remains faithful, even though Israel does not. Right. And then to continue that to the next covenant, the Davidic covenant, yeah. to Abraham, he doesn't just promise descendants. He promises of those descendants, there will be kings. And mm-hmm. um, there are laws in the Mosaic covenant regarding kings. And with the Davidic covenant, we have the establishment of the Israelite monarchy in David. And part of that covenant is that the the son of David will reign forever. And the hope of Israel was a dwell a kingdom in a land where they dwelt with God and the king that God established would rule forever. And again, there's this promise that that king's reign would never end. And we again have this in Christ. Christ is the one who both keeps the covenant and takes on the curse for covenant breaking from the Abrahamic covenant. He is the one who perfectly keeps the law of the true Israel who is faithful um, to the, the living in accordance with God's um, standards and holiness. And he is the true son of David, the king who reigns forever, whose reign will have no end. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the, so this is the Davidic covenant we're talking about. I think this is like the sickest. You already said that about the Abrahamic. You can't have two I can't help it. Um, The double most sick. Um, Sure. And because... Okay, so if you read the very first chapter in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, um, 
basically traces the line from, I think it's from Abraham, but from David down to Jesus. So yeah. Jesus is a direct descendant of the kingly line, and he reigns as a king. So the promise to David is completely and perfectly fulfilled because Jesus, a descendant of David, reigns for literally ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just And this so is not literally cool. like the teens are using the word literally. That's where just it the means literal. like for <laughs> like or it means figuratively. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like literally for eternity he has and will reign. But so so yeah, all of these all of these covenants, so the Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, all of these are part of the one ultimate covenant of grace. Right, which is found in Christ. Christ who, I'm trying to, I was going to try and quote the question from memory, but I can't do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> who is uh, bringing those who are elected to eternal life into an estate of salvation. Mm. There it is. <laughs> um, and this is the fulfillment of all the promises even the promises made to Adam in the covenant of works, the promises to not destroy the earth again, that is found in Christ who is renewing creation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the promise to uh, fill the earth with the people and the descendants of Abraham, Christ is is doing by, by creating for himself a nation of, of true Israelites, um, of, of, of true Israel, as Paul his calls church. them, his church. Yeah. And he's, um, those people will have the law written on their hearts as uh, Jeremiah speaks of a fulfillment of the command to write the law on your hearts, basically from Deuteronomy six, that Jeremiah promises will be a reality in Jeremiah thirty-one, and and he is the king of those people, uh, and and he is the one who, by in ratifying his new covenant, took the covenant curse on himself, so that those who are his would be redeemed and and taken from a state of sin and misery to a state of salvation and eternal life. Yeah. Boom. So the covenant of grace is the covenant, covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ, but it is more broadly and more even profoundly the culmination and coming together of, of all of the covenant administrations that are part of the covenant of grace following yeah. the fall. And that's, and that's a pretty complicated thing. I guess we kind of, this is basically covenant theology broken down into like 15 minutes. So it's been like 18 minutes, 18 minutes, 20 minutes. Okay. That's fair. But yes, it might be tricky to understand. You know what? Feel free to send in questions. Yeah, send in questions. Catechized at gmail.com. We need questions from the catechumens. We've we've been dry. We're in a dry spell. We're intentionally making it harder to understand so that yeah. you have to send in questions. Get wrecked. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, it's 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 hard to... That's almost why this episode is kind of daunting because it's so difficult to explain all of the amazing things related to the covenant of grace and how Jesus fulfills all of them. So Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good that's a good start. Let's though. talk about election. Yeah, <laughs> put on your gloves. If you're a boxer, if you're a hockey player, take them off. <laughs> oh, nice. Time to fight. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, this Mortal Kombat theme music here. I don't I don't know how that goes. Dum 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 dum. All right, sounds really generic. Yeah, well, it's old, so it's generic. Oh, okay. Well, anyways, God having out of the his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life. Okay, so we are reformed. We've talked about election in the past, and, and it's pretty much, if you say you're reformed and, and someone knows anything about it, pretty much the only thing that they would say is, isn't that those people who believe in predestination? Like that is has Frozen become in chosen. many ways synonymous with reformed theology, 
which is not unfair, but it's it's super reductionistic. Yeah. Anyways, um, this question we really get to the reality of election, especially coming off of last week's discussion of misery and the reality of of punishment in hell eternally, because God does not choose to save everybody from that fate and that feels unfair to many especially if he is the one choosing who has which fate and so we're just going to briefly talk about how and why we understand election i guess and because yeah i mean um go ahead yeah i was gonna say i mean i think the the most basic reason we believe in election is just the bible tells us so i think it's really I think you have to do some exegetical or interpretive to gymnastics, gymnastics to get yeah. out of the passages that assert election. Yeah. And granted, everyone, even those who don't hold the predestination or a reformed understanding of election, they have to deal with election because it's explicitly in the text. So we're not saying that if you are Armenian or Roman Catholic or whatever else you want to call yourself um, that's not reformed, that you don't believe in election. We know you believe in election, but the election that... We would argue that the Reformed understanding of election is the one that is consistent with the Scripture's representation of what election is. Yeah. Um, we've read Ephesians 1 before. Ephesians 1 is a great place to go where God, um, according to the counsel of his will uh, and uh, things like that, has elected some to salvation. It's in, in Romans 8 and 9 as well, um, this idea of election. It's in the call of Abraham that God picked Abraham. And he picked Israel among all the nations. He did not elect to save Babylon or yeah, whatever. Assyria. Assyria yeah. or Egypt. Um, the, the, this idea that God takes out of all of damned humanity some to be his people. And even throughout history, we see the, the reality that not all who are ethnic Israel are Israel, to use Paul's words. Um, there's this idea all throughout the, the kings and the prophets that there is a faithful remnant that even within the biological people of God, there is a spiritual people of God, true Israel, again, to use New Testament language. And we believe that this is how God has chosen to accomplish his work of redemption. And that is therefore a good thing to rejoice in and to kind of cut off uh, at the head, some of the objections and rejections that people have, um, I'm going to go to Voss and from his commentary on the larger catechisms equivalent mm. of this question, which is um, addressing two kind of ideas. And the first is, is the motivation that God has for electing and saving people. Yeah. And, and Voss draws attention to this reality that, that God is under no obligation to man. The, the question says out of pure grace, right? Is that the music? Um, God having out of his <laughs> no. mere good pleasure from all eternity. That there is nothing that obligates God to save people. That he is a yeah. just God. And so when we rebelled against him dramatically, he would have been perfectly just to eliminate humanity. Yeah. To, to condemn all. And that the fact that God has authored a plan and accomplished a plan wherein anyone is saved is purely out of his mercy and grace. There is nothing outside of himself, nothing in us that obligates him to save. Yeah. And so to say that to say that God saves some is to say that God chooses to act out of an abundance of 
mercy. (laughs) I was going to say, I've heard people say before something to the effect of, if you have the ability to save someone, like if someone's drowning and you don't save them, you did the same as killing them. Like with the implication that if God can save everyone and he doesn't, he is unfairly killing them. Right. But the that, problem is, is that this is com- this is not the situation. It's not like we are all victims, or that, in a state of neutrality. Yeah, we're in a state of neutrality, and God just um, steps in, and or like God just is like, uh, I only want to save like half of you, even though I could save all of you. The point, the the thing is, is that we are actively against God and God's enemies, and God, and, who is the just judge, yeah. has condemned us all to to death yeah and the only reason (laughs) the only reason we are not condemned to death entirely is because his own son is sent and dies right so first of all it's not as though this is some like god is involved in this story (laughs) like god gives his own son to save those who turn to him right um the other thing is or sorry I'll let you do your second point before I get carried away here. Oh, it's it, it really it's just kind of an elaboration, which is because God God's motivation is His own pure grace and is not under obligation to save. The fairness of election is not to be qualified by it being selective. Yeah, um, because salvation is not owed; condemnation is is owed, and because of that lack of obligation, um, sal- being not being chosen for salvation is not to have something that you are owed withheld from you. It yeah. is to be given the very thing that you deserve. Yeah. And, and so God is is punishing sinners. And while he is punishing sinners, he also chooses to punish his son in order that he might save some of those sinners who are condemned. Yeah. All of the sinners who turn to him. Um, yeah. And the, the other thing with this is we get, this gets so like heady and so we we get so like carried away in trying to decipher the will of God that we we ignore the aspect in the Bible and we we me and Josh talk about this all the time on here basically <laughs> of the the fact that there are two sides to it there's predestination but there is also free will God sure. doesn't completely just like puppet master make us do stuff right we have free will to do stuff and so a huge emphasis of the Bible is the fact that we choose not to seek God. We choose not to. Apart from the yeah. intervening work of God that makes us alive, unless you're born by the spirit, born again by the spirit, apart yep. from that intervening regenerative work, our wills that are enslaved to sin only ever always choose to rebel against God. Yeah. And so I think it's important to have that in mind. And that is a large emphasis of the Bible where it talks about how humans have this opposition to God and how we don't, we, t- we talked about this with total depravity. We just yeah. don't want, we hate God. Yeah. We don't want so to the reality, serve him. Yeah. The reality of, of, of condemnation and election is either God gives you what you want or he changes your heart and then gives you what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and it is not unfair that he doesn't change everyone's heart. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a difficult issue and right. I know lots of like I've talked with lots of people. I remember talking to someone who was considering seminary. They didn't know where and they and I was going to Reform Theological Seminary. And so I was like, "Yeah, it's a great seminary." And they basically just couldn't get past the issue that 
they could not believe that God predestined some has predestination. They preferred rather than wrestling with that issue, they preferred to just go with an alternate understanding of the Bible that got rid of that dissonance. Right. Um, and that makes sense because as humans, we don't like that. Sure. So we try and just like pretend it away, it all out or right. ignore it. Yeah. And so, sorry, but it seems to be like, like we were saying, it's seems pretty clearly to be in the Bible Yeah. to an extent that if you're trying to get rid of it, you have to do so much strange, strange exegetical work. Yeah. That I think, I think it's better just to realize this is a hard thing. God is God. I am man. Yeah. Who you know? Who is what? What is the Potter to say to the to the to what to is the, the clay to say to the potter? clay to say to the Potter? Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, what does the pot have to say to the Potter? There you go. <laughs> but Romans nine. Like, yeah. So there are things that are not for us to know and to understand right. perfectly. Yeah. And and what I think is even more true is that we can come to an understanding of this, but to come to a place where we delight in the truth of election is a different thing. Yeah. And many people don't reject election because they don't understand it. Well, that's not true. Many people don't understand it, (laughs) but many people who do come to an understanding of it still don't, don't like it and reject it there because of that. And that's another iteration maybe of wanting what we want and being given it. So I have one more point and then we'll move on to the history of the week, but I think do it. I don't know. If we haven't mapped out any footnotes and proof text following this season, um, but I'm I'm I think one that we'll do is we'll do an exegetical walkthrough of Romans nine, um, which will be a lot of fun. But also, it's something that's been done a lot. It's like classic for this yeah. topic. But it's 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 a great chapter also, of the Bible, and it's it, uh, also yeah. Josh. I'm sure there. I think there's been like seven or eight times during this season where we've gone. Maybe we'll do a proof, footnote some proof text on that. So I, well, I just don't we remember. have it somewhere. <laughs> I just haven't written down what I we said. Yeah, we I don't either. So for sure, a footnote proof text from season two. So coming in probably two or three weeks because we'll take a week or two off. Yeah. Um, will be a, an exegetical walkthrough of Romans 9. If you have other things that you remember or want, shoot us an email, catechize at gmail.com. Last point, though, for election is this idea that Voss also highlights in the Westminster Larger Catechism's questions that parallel this question. This is question 20. In the Larger Catechism, it's question 30 and connected with 31, which doesn't have a parallel in the shorter. Voss highlights this idea that this covenant of grace is made with Jesus and his seed, which parallels Adam and his seed. And so in the same way that the failed covenant keeping of Adam condemned all of humanity, the faithful covenant keeping of Christ brings about the the blessings of the covenant on Christ and mm. all who are in him. Yeah. Just as Adam's sin brought about the curses on all of Adam's and all who are in him, which happens to be all of humanity until they are in Christ. Yeah. Um, so this this application of and the redemption bringing us into a state of salvation and eternal life that Christ accomplishes is accomplished because he is faithful to keeping his covenant and that that covenant is with him and those who are in him. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. Cool. All right, let's move on to the let's history of the week. So basically the history and the heresy both this week are added to clarify some elements because this is just such a 
robust topic. Yeah. So for the history this week, we're actually just going to the Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I'm reading three sections from the seventh chapter. So we normally do the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith. Right. This is the confession which the catechisms teach through questions and answers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then John's heresy will also, again, clarify some of the stuff yeah, from yeah. this. So this is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 7, Sections 3, 4, and 5. Um, Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 7, which is God's co- the God's Covenant with Man, ch- Sections 3, 4, and 5. So, 3. Man, by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, the Lord was pleased to make a second covenant, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein he freely offered unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those who are ordained unto eternal life his Holy Spirit, to make them willing and able to believe. Four. This covenant of grace is frequently set forth in scripture by the name of a testament in reference to the death of Jesus Christ, the testador. That's a weird old Latin. Testator? I don't know. I said it wrong. Whatever. Testator. It's Latin. Conquistador. No. Anyways, Jesus Christ, the administrator of the covenant, and to the everlasting inheritance with all things belonging to it, therein bequeathed. Nice old English. And then point sub point five or section five this covenant was differently administered administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel under the law it was administered by the promises prophecies sacrifices circumcision and the paschal lamb john favorite term Mm, of yours paschal uh and other types of ordinances delivered to the people of the jews all for signing um for signifying christ to come which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit, to instruct and to build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they had full remission of sins, eternal salvation, uh, and is called the Old Testament. And then continues in the New Testament with Christ, which we will get to. I really like that distinction, um, the different administrations. So in the time of the law, it was through promises. Basically, something's coming that will bring this to pass. Yes. And so the whole Old Testament is looking forward to something. And then the New Testament is what they were looking forward to. Right. Cool. And it's uh, a helpful way to look at it. Yeah, good fun. John, want to hit us with that heresy of the week? Heresy of the week. Yeah, say it weird. Like I say words weird. Yeah. <laughs> heresy. Um, Ew. No. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind, of, kind of weird. But anyway, so this one, we're once again back to not quite real. Not not formal heresies. Not formal heresies. Again, um, if you believe this, we don't believe you're damned. Yeah. But this is a, I would argue, significant error. Yeah. It is an error regardless. I would say it's a significant one. I don't know where you stand. Yeah. So this one, we're calling it, is this a technical title? Or is this, this is what they call themselves. Okay. Provisionism yeah. is basically um, what it's called. And the idea of this is that essentially Jesus dies and then... Anyone who goes to him can be saved, but it's not that he dies for anyone specifically, right. kind of. It's kind of like, maybe a helpful analogy would be like, Jesus is a lighthouse, and anyone can wander to the lighthouse, sort of, or yeah. something like Here, that. Here's the, here's the analogy that they... I don't want to call it people, but Leighton Flowers is the is the, the chief provisionist. Okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> he... 
um, his analogy, one of his analogies is that um, the God predestined where the plane was going to go and you have to choose whether or not to get on the plane. Okay. Yeah. So like the plane is going to heaven and Jesus Christ assures that and God predestines and elects that plane to go to heaven and you have like the plane's going there. It's a done deal. It's assured, but you have to choose to get on the plane and not get off the plane yeah. before it takes off. Yeah. That's basically, basically what I was getting at. Jesus but. did not die to save anybody, but he died to make a way f- of salvation, that, a way for every individual to be saved if they take advantage of Christ's provision of and, salvation. And that and that gets at the one of the things that I have the most trouble with with it is that God, Jesus could have died for absolutely no one. Right. If no one chose to get on the plane, the plane is going to heaven completely empty-handed, and it would be very difficult to say that there's any victory that Jesus has accomplished if he's right. saving no one. It it makes the death of Christ this this big gamble. Yeah. All right, here, this is it. This is what we have to do in order to save some. I really just hope that some of them play maybe, along. Maybe, just maybe, some will decide to believe. Yeah. Right. And they would argue that God knew that people would and things like that, but... Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I mean, the other, obviously it doesn't do justice to a decent amount of other texts related right. to predestination. Right. Ephesians and it, one. And it puts the entirety yeah. of the accomplishment of salvation in the hands of, of men. Yeah. Uh, and that beyond being not biblical, it's just bad. <laughs> well, you remember what we talked about earlier in the episode with the, with Abraham and how God took the stipulations of the covenant upon himself, basically saying, I will make it come to pass. Mm -hmm. In that situation, man can make it not come to pass. Right. Because if no man chooses to get on the plane, so to speak, man has foiled God's plans. Sure. um, Which is, which doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to happen. So, Yeah. But like we said, it's not like it's not like oh, you're the worst person you, ever. Yeah. <laughs> have but, you seen those memes where it's uh, like a Scooby Doo scene, and they're like about to take the mask off the bad guy, and they're like, "Let's see who you are." And the bad guy is labeled quote not a Calvinist or an Arminian, and they take off the mask, and it's Arminius. <laughs> I have seen that. Yeah. yeah, it's that's basically this. Basically, provisionism is Arminianism for people who don't want to say they're Arminian. Yeah. And basic and most with a lot of certainly a lot of different nuances. Provisionism is a distillation of pretty much everything that is not a reformed understanding. Of course, there are many differences between different camps that aren't reformed. I'm not yeah. saying you're either reformed or you're you're the other one thing. Yeah. But essentially every other iteration outside of God elected someone to salvation is that God made a way for salvation and you either by your uh, by your one statement of faith for those people who are like once saved, always saved, easy believism Christians, that is your ticket. Or the faithful completion of a life of sacraments is your ticket. Or yeah. um, you believe and and you keep saying you believe, and that's your ticket. Every every other system of understanding salvation um, puts the accomplishing of salvation in some way into some percent into the hands of of man yeah 
Yeah. And as we say that, obviously, a lot of people, perhaps most people, are inconsistent in their beliefs. To right. an, to an and there are certainly where, there yeah. are probably ways where I'm inconsistent. So yeah. I'm not I'm not yeah. trying to, to tout my supremacy. Um, oh yeah, no, that's very at true. All. It, yeah, and that's a good point to I guess conclude on. Like we we talk about these doctrines, and they're hard to understand, and they're hard to articulate in some ways. Sure. And so while we believe we have the most biblically accurate, we're saying we believe what we're saying is our best effort at biblical accuracy and seems to make the most sense based on the Bible. Right. We acknowledge that we're not infallible. Right. And also none of the, like none of any episode and none of any effort of mine to teach in our efforts to, to teach or talk about the Bible are an effort to, to show people how we are right or to shove it in their face, how they're wrong. This is not a, I have the truth and you, and you don't because I've come up with it and you're stupid. This is yeah. a, I'm trying to get out of the way and and show you what scripture says. Of course, I'm convicted that this is the truth, but I, I'm not trying to win an argument or a discussion and I'm not trying to show that you're wrong and that I'm right. My, my conviction that I am right is not in any sort of supremacy of me. Yeah. It's a, I want you to believe the truth. I want you to come under the understanding that I have submitted to as well. It's a come along with me, not a I'm going to beat you and shove it in your face because I'm so smart. Yeah. This is not me. This is me trying to get out of the way of what God's word says. Yeah. That's my attempt at least. Yeah. Or our attempt. I don't know. Sweet. Well, shall we call it a day? Let's call it a day. Have a, uh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Send us some questions to catechize at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at catechizepod. Send us some uh, comments or emails or likes or give us stars uh, in the app on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment there. Share it with a friend who might need it or use it or want it. Share it with a friend who might think we're stupid so that we can interact with them and have a good conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, that would be that would be nice, though. Yeah, that'd be great. Share it with your mom because, I don't know, because whatever. Uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in a few weeks. Send us thoughts and things on topics that you'd like to see a foot next, footnotes and proof text on. And uh, thanks, thanks for just being here, everybody. And we really appreciate it today. Great. We needed you here. This is the good news. <laughs> uh, anyways, looking forward to being back with you to discuss the person and work of Christ and the accomplishing of the gospel. In season three. Wow. We'll see you next catechized. Later. Next later. We don't know when we'll be <laughs> back. Right. Catechize Call your kids. It. Goodbye. <laughs>